Our scripture reading today is found in James chapter four, verses thirteen through seventeen. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Now listen, you who say, "Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carrying on business and make money." Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, "If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that." As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of God. Thanks to be God. You may be seated. Thank you, Elizabeth, and happy Mother's Day. Well, I find that there are very few things in our human interactions, our human relationships, that are more awkward and more difficult than when we're in a setting and nobody even notices that we're there.、Uh, to be in a place where, when we speak, it's as if what we say has no influence whatsoever.、Uh, to be in a place nobody even knows who we are. Uh, you expect that sometimes when you come into a larger church, maybe for the first time. So don't be surprised. But the place where that is especially hard is when you're in a place with people that you really love, like your family, and and there still,、uh, it's almost as if whatever you say bears no weight whatsoever. Do you know what I'm getting at? This is so. It's almost like we're not human beings. Now,、uh, as I usually do, I've been talking with people all week about this. And I've talked especially with a lot of moms, knowing that today is Mother's Day, and I have found that as mothers have talked with me, almost each one has resonated with this, and so many have said things like this. Pastor Greg, one of the most difficult things about being a mother is sometimes where we invest so much, our whole lives, sometimes feel invested in our family and in our children, and then sometimes it's as if they haven't even noticed anything we've ever done. And it's just painful, and it's so. So I'm just going to say this: if you have a mom who is still alive, now my mom passed away a couple of years ago. You know, it's a little bit bittersweet on a day like this,、uh, the sorrow of missing her, but the sweetness of remembering her. But if you have a mom who's alive, and and, and the mom that you have, at least you have seen that she's given her best、uh, to try to show love to you. Will you make sure that you let your mom know how much you appreciate her? Uh, today, make sure you do that. Now, I, th- I think for our children being dedicated today,、uh, for little Eric and Luca and Caleb, we'll give them a pass. Well, this this next year, I'll call them to do that. But I think, especially on Mother's Day, the huge role that mothers and fathers and the family play in all of our lives, potentially for good and sometimes it's challenging, is a day that we we can't just. Let moms go and not let them know that they really, really matter. And if you understand this, this makes sense to you so far. If you've gotten how hard that is for us, 
then it brings us directly into this very personal text that Elizabeth just read for us. James chapter 4, just five verses, verses 13 to 17. And he, as a pastor, was writing to a group of people just like us. Almost all of them, maybe all of them, believed in God. And they also believed in the kind of God that the Bible says that God really is. And that is that not only do we believe that, that there is a God who made everything and who's out there, but the Bible keeps telling us that God is right here with us. That when you follow Jesus, He, he comes in, to, He gives His spirits to you so that God is with you and He dwells in you. So we believe that God is present. What James takes up is that we say that we believe that, but so many times live as if God isn't there at all. So we're in this series that's called Examining Our Ways. And here's what I want us to examine. Whether what we believe about God being present with us and in us actually changes the way that you live. Now, uh, perhaps you noticed as, as Elizabeth was reading that there's some passion. I mean, James, I think, was a very passionate man. He must have been a straight speaking man for sure. So I want to start with saying, what's the problem that he's dealing with? What is the problem? And I, I framed it this way. It's for those of us who believe in God, living our lives without any reference to God in our, in our daily living. So look again at verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. James says, now listen. And yes, it is just that strong. It's like he's preaching on a Sunday morning and he looks out and he sees some people aren't listening. <laughs> Wake up, he says. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business. We'll make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a mist. I just had my birthday last week. Man, I can't believe how fast it has gone by. I know that what James is saying is true. Now, the problem. I... I thought I should tell you what the problem is not. I read a lot of Bible commentaries. I, I want you to know that James, in talking about the way you do business and use money, he's not criticizing private enterprise as a system. Uh, James was not a first century socialist or communist who was criticizing capitalism. Uh, in, in James's day, all business was private business. Did you know that? In fact, in all the Bible's days, all business was private business. It was family-owned business. And so that's really not what he's... He's not talking about that. He's talking about how we do the business that we do. Now, the other thing he's not talking about, he's not talking about us uh, planning for the future. He said, don't, don't plan for the future, just let God sort of direct it. No, no, no. The, the Bible tells us that a part of the beauty of you and me being made in God's image is that we have the ability to make plans, to know what's ahead and to try to make wise plans. What he's talking about is making plans without any reference to God. Now, some people have said that he's only talking about money and, and businessmen because he does talk about that. And we're going to get to that. But I'll tell you, it's much bigger. What he's talking about is much bigger. He's talking about every decision you and I make, uh, every day that you and I live. So here we have graduation coming up soon. He could have just as easily have said to high school seniors graduating, now listen, you who say, next month I'm going to graduate from my high school. And then I'm going to spend the summer hanging out at the beach. And then I'm going to go off to the university. And then I'm going to... He says, no, no, no. 
when you plan, you may do all those things and plan for it. But when you plan, you can't treat God as if he's nothing. If we simply say, this is what I'm going to do without any reference to God, it's, it's, it's acting as if there's no God at all. I've written it down so that you can just think about it. He's speaking about the way you and I often live our lives as if there isn't a God. He's writing about us believing that God is and that he's here, but treating him as if he is not. That's why I called the sermon, Who Died and Made You God? Uh, what what the, passage, the passage is addressing is you and me failing to connect our daily lives with what we profess about our relationship to God. He's calling us to say, if God is there, that should actually change things about how you and I live. Well, what he's talking about is you and me coming to church on Sunday and then acting like there's a God, but, but I'll tell you, Monday through Saturday, I'm just going to do it my own way. Uh, the Old Testament talks about this a great deal. If, if you read through the Psalms particularly, uh, the phrases that it uses are things like, remember your creator. Remember God. And, and by remembering, it's not just to have God in your mind, but to remember that he is there so that you can consult him and ask him, how should I live? And the flip side of that is the frequent warnings about not forgetting God. Not forgetting God. It's a very serious thing that when we bring God into our lives and then act as if he's not there, it's like slapping him in the face. There's so many texts about that, but one of the most powerful ones is a prophet named Jeremiah. And God gave a message through him. And I'll just give you one of the places. Jeremiah 2.32. Uh, God says through Jeremiah, Does a young woman, and talking about one about to get married, forget her jewelry on her wedding day? Does a bride forget her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me, God says, days without number. Now, I'm a pastor, and I have done a lot of weddings. And I want to tell you something. I have never had a bride show up for the wedding rushing in and just wearing the very worst jeans that she has and T-shirts so dirty and says, Oh, pastor, I forgot I'm supposed to dress up on a day like today. I just, just forgot about that. I've never even seen a day where the bride didn't have the very best makeup she has. She always looks her very best. Why? Because that day is important. Because the person she's marrying is important. You get the point that we don't forget what's important to us. We remember those things that matter. And so, so for us to say that we believe in God and that God loves us with an everlasting love and that God gives himself to us through giving his spirit to us and then living our lives every day without him. It's such a, an offense. I mean, when that happens to us, it's a terrible thing. And when we do it to God, it's a slap in his face. That brings me to a second point. Uh, James speaks about this with passion. It's obvious that it's serious. So the question is, why is this matter of living my life without asking God what he would have me to do? Why is that so serious? And, I, and I've sort of answered it this way, because it really breaks the first commandment. And when we leave God out, it affects all of our lives and all of our relationships. Now, many people have looked at that verse 16 that's here, and he says, what you're doing, you're boasting in your arrogant schemes, and, and that boasting is evil. So he uses words like boasting and evil. So I, I was talking about this Tuesday with a group of pastors, and Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy Rose, said, you know, I, 
Greg, I think that many people are going to wonder, why do you think that this is so important? He thought many people would say something like, think something like this. What's that pastor ranting and raving up there about? I haven't murdered anybody. And it's not like I'm lying or stealing. I'm not committing adultery. It's just I make plans every day. What's, what's the big deal about this? So I, I need to come back and let you know that really what James is trying to say is that when we leave God out of our lives, we break the first command. Do you know what the first command is? It's hard to yell it out right in the middle of church, isn't it? But I pre- it's, every sermon I preach is about this, so uh, you know what it is. It's that God is first. Nothing, nothing in the place of God. And that's the first command for a reason. That command is the foundation for every other command. If you don't obey that one, the rest of them you, you and I will never obey. Because the temptations and powers in this world are so strong that unless we know that God is there and that we count on Him and, and we surrender to Him, we'll never obey the others. Like what, you might ask? Well, let me tell you, I could talk all morning about this, but I won't. I really won't. But I'll pick a couple. Fourth command. God tells us that you and I should work six days. Because it's a beautiful thing to be able to be productive. So work six days and be productive. Whatever work it is God gives to you. But on the seventh, stop. Have that to be a day you rest and have it to the Lord so you can be ready to go back and do what you do the other six days. You know how it is for us. Uh, some days we let one day slip into another. Every day becomes alike or else we get to be so busy, especially those of us who are in professions or in business, students. It's like this too. Every day becomes the same. And so we think, what's the big deal about this? And we'll just disobey that thing. I'll tell you, we'll just get worn out and exhausted. See, we'll break that command if we don't obey the first. Or, or, I'll get more personal here. Seventh command. It tells us to be uh, sexually faithful within our marriage covenant. And yet the temptations in this world are so strong, especially I think here in Southern California, wouldn't you agree? That when those temptations come, uh, it just seems like, well, if I obey God, that take away a lot of the fun and joy I want to do. You see, we won't have the strength to obey that seventh command unless we know that God is there. We count on Him and we want to please, please Him. Or the ninth command, don't bear false witness, tell the truth. The temptations come up to try to hide something. Man, if I tell my parents about this, I'll be in trouble. Better not. If I tell the truth about this, I'll lose that business deal. I better not. The temptations come every day of our lives, right? That unless we know that God is there and that He knows our thoughts and knows our words and... And that he is there to help us to do what is right. We'll disobey them all. And what happens is we destroy our lives. We destroy those around us. So, so this is why this is so important. Uh, learning to live our lives every day. Believing what we say we believe. That God is present with us. And allowing his presence to change things. I've been trying to think of a, of a good illustration for this. I couldn't think of one so I chose a bad one. So, but, but it'll get you in the right direction. Uh, some of you know I used to live in Chicago for so many years and uh, one of the things I did there I, I loved to play tennis on every Thursday night I had tennis matches with, with friends with all my Chicago friends and, and when we started for several months I was playing with the same group of guys there's one guy I especially loved to play with he was a Chicago attorney I think I liked to play with him because we usually won which tells you something about your pastor right what, what I have fun doing um, so it was in a break during one of the times, I think we were at a changeover, 
And his name Steve. Steve looked at, uh, I talked to him and said, Steve, uh, you talked to me about this tough case that you have. How's that going? And he told me a little bit about it. And then he looked up at me and he said, uh, Greg, you know what I do, but I don't want you to. What, what, what's your job? And I said, you don't know? Oh, I, I'm the pastor of, of this church down the street. I, I'm telling you, his face went flush. I could see him thinking through every word he had ever said, every line call he had ever made. I could just see it happening. And what he did was, and we had four courts of doubles going on. He looked up down the court and said, Guys, Greg is a man of the cloth. That's what he said. And I could see the same things happening in their lives. Now, now I'll tell you, that's such a small way of, if just the pastor being present makes you rethink things. Think infinitely more, infinitely more. Knowing that the powerful, holy, loving God of the universe is present with you and me should shape our thoughts and our emotions and our actions. So I just want to tell you, God is present in your life right now. I want to tell you that when you leave this place, He goes with you too. He does know every thought you think and every word you speak. So that might feel oppressive, but when you think about the fact that he loves you with an everlasting love, so much that he sent his son, then you know that what he intends for you and me is not bad. To ignore that God is with us is to treat God as if he's nothing. I think the greatest incentive for me, and I think it would be for you too, to actually living the way we know God would have us to live is to know that he is present. And James is saying this is serious because when we, um, when we don't acknowledge that, we will move toward pride and toward evil. On the other side, it, it just isn't staying away from evil. It, it's really good to live this way. My repeated point that Jesus didn't give his life to ruin ours. <laughs> he gave his life so that we can live. So the third point I want to make, why is it good then to, to remember God, not to forget him? And the point I want to make is that when you do, when you, you count upon God every day of your life, it starts bringing order to a life that can be just feel like it's out of control. And it brings meaning. Sometimes when it feels like the things you're doing are just mundane and don't have any lasting consequence, it brings order and meaning to our lives. Now look at verse 15. One word there I want you to see especially. Instead of living for yourself, you ought to say, if it is God's will, we will do this. The word I want you to see is that word, ought. That's such a big word. Um, whenever people do things we don't like, we use it. You ought not to have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Uh, it's a word, though, that when people think about it, in our society, they don't really like it. When you really think about what it means, ought, it means there is a way of life that someone somewhere has a moral way, a moral law somewhere somewhere has said that is the way you're supposed to live. You ought to live that way. When we see evil in our world, like like in a school when children are being slaughtered, why is that wrong? We say that ought not be. And, and our world doesn't like to have those sorts of oughts outside of ourselves. We like to say it ourselves. But I'll tell you. It's an important word, and what it really says is, is that God is, He really is, and He's made the world, and He's created a way that life is supposed to be lived, and it is better. Uh, so when we count on Him and seek Him, 
He leads us in that way we ought to go, which is a better way. Do you believe me? It means you've got to trust that God is good because it calls us away from self. Now, in what way is that good? And and James, I could say a thousand ways, but James kind of leads us down a really important path. One is the path for those who are um, successful in any way in this world, the way the world values success. And what, it's, what James is going to be saying here is, is it rescues us when, when we're successful in the eyes of the world. It rescues us from a syndrome that makes us swing between pride and anxiety. Uh, we don't even know what tomorrow's going to hold. Our lives are a vapor. God is the one who has substance. He knows what we're doing. So this is the problem that James was addressing specifically in these five verses. I think mainly he was writing to business people. And probably in the first century, they were almost all men. And what he said is, if you and I are successful in any place in our lives, and he was writing to businessmen there, but we can say about any arena of life, in your profession, in your school, in athletics, if you're successful, we are then prone toward one particular sin. And that sin is boasting. That's what he said. As it is, you boast and brag. And, and you know he's right about this. And the way that comes out is we just say, well, I can do this. Okay, I believe in God, but here's the way I'm going to live. Today or tomorrow, I'm going to go into that town. I'll spend a week there. I'll I'll carry on business there, and I'm going to make money. I'm just telling you, that is presumptuous for people like you and me who don't even know if we're going to be alive tomorrow to talk like that. In what way is it presumptuous? I'll tell you. It presumes on the availability of time. We just say, well, today or tomorrow, of course, uh, I'll be here, and it's in my control. In fact, I have my calendar booked all the way to 2020. God has no voice in that whatsoever. Uh, it presumes, second, on, on the thought that I have the power of infinite choice, that, that I can say, we shall do this or that. doesn't even think that maybe someone may have a different plan. And when he breaks in, sometimes ah, we're so frustrated. Number three, it presumes upon success. And we shall make money. I've made it before. I can make it again. It's confidence, all right. But I'll tell you, it's a confidence that is misplaced. Because someday it's going to come where it's not going to be successful. And so what happens, and I've seen it a thousand times, uh, when we have had success in different areas, but we get this idea, I've done it, I, I can do it again, and, and we don't recommend anyone else, but then the moment that it's not going so well, you almost feel, I'm going to rush into the pastor, I'll go to church for a change, and maybe you can pray that God will help me succeed again. Because anxiety sets in. Are you with me here? This swinging back and forth. I have seen it in so many places. Uh, when I was a university president, I saw it so often. I would gather with my colleagues and there would be a few people that was all going well. Enrollments were strong. Giving to the university was good. Capital campaign is done. And everybody else was saying, but, ah, I'm having, we're having challenges this year. And the one who's doing well, you almost get this feeling, well, that's because I'm a good president. I, I know what I'm doing. The next year, when that person is having the problems, they're so filled with anxiety. Let's have a prayer meeting, men. You see, it's just swinging back and forth. James takes it up about how that plays out in business. I've seen it with athletes. That, that when athletes are, are successful and, and, and healthy, 
you almost feel invincible. But then an injury comes, or, or you get older and you lose a step, and then the anxiety slips. Let me just tell you this swinging that is so common in our world between pride, I can do it, anxiety, what am I going to do, is not the way God created us to live life. He created us to have shalom, and it only comes when we know that God is there, we acknowledge it, we use the gifts He's given us to the best of the ability that He has given us. When tough times come, we also know He is there. And there's something He is going to accomplish even through the challenge and the tough times. I was talking with uh, some of our pastors. Pastor Jeff Leo helped me to rethink this a little bit. He said, yes, I think that's talking to those who are successful. But he thought, and especially for Mother's Day, mothers, many have said, yes, Greg, I'm glad you made this point. Uh, he said, many times when a person gets into a different stage of life, this matter of, of not counting on God every moment plays out in a different way. And, and that is more a way that, that has drivenness on one side and emptiness on the other. Instead of the pride anxiety syndrome, more of a, a frantic drivenness on one side and, and uh, on the other side a sense of emptiness in, in this way. Uh, as one mom who has four kids told me, I won't use her name, she had four kids, each one of them have activities. Each day of my life, I just have to do all this stuff. And my, my life seems to be so driven and so frantic, but when I... And that doesn't seem right. But when I pull back and stop, I look back and I say, but what meaning does any of that have? It feels so empty. And when your children are really small and, and you feel like you don't have any conversations except at a level of a nine-month-old, it can feel so empty. And so life in those moments can have this combination of both frantic drivenness as well as a sense of, of a lack of fulfillment. Now, I have no easy or pat answers for this, but I think James gives us the beginning point of acknowledging that wherever you are in life right now, God is present there. God is present there. And this is not outside of his control. So that when you count on his presence, even though he may not take away all of the responsibilities that you have, at least you can get a sense uh, of priority. God, what is the most important thing because I feel like I can't do everything? And if you're in a place where it feels like the activity that, that you've been called to doesn't have lasting meaning, when you know that God is there and you say, God, what would you have me to do at this moment in this place? Is there somebody you would have me to speak to? Is there something you would have me to change? It, it gives meaning to everything that you do. So, so that if one day you're an incredibly successful business person and the next day you're out of work and you go and say this is so empty, it's so meaningless and you go to the unemployment line and yet recognize that you go there with the presence of God and you say, God, what will you have me to do in this moment? You might find that He uses you more powerfully to encourage or to give witness to that person that you otherwise would never have met in that moment. I, I hope this doesn't seem empty to you because I tell you when you begin to live life knowing that God is there and nothing is outside of his control it begins to bring order to a life that seems to be out of control because you and I don't even we can't control anything but God is in control of everything we don't know what tomorrow holds he holds tomorrow you've heard that phrase before and it also brings meaning to what feels so mundane 
That, that's why it's so good to remember and not to forget God. My last point. Um, this is the hardest part. How, how, what suggestions would I as pastor give to you about how to live a life that counts moment by moment and day by day upon the fact that God is there? What advice would I give you about living a life remembering God? Uh, James gives us two verses. He says, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. He was a pastor too. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And then he gives a second piece down here in verse 17. So if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Um, I think this matter of us leaving church and then getting up tomorrow and just living our lives without reference to God is so pervasive among us that we probably aren't even aware that we live that way. And so it makes it kind of hard to break through that. It's kind of like trying to talk to a fish about water. What's water like? I don't know. It's just everywhere. You know, if it's just something that's so all-enveloping. And I, I think the idea that I just make decisions without reference to God is... So I've really wrestled with what to say to you. But I'm going to give three suggestions. And, and some of it, I'll just tell you, is transforming my own life by God's grace. So... I pray they'll be helpful. Number one, I want you to consider living every moment of life with gratitude. Uh, Acknowledging, as you do, the presence of God and the sovereignty of God. God is great. By sovereignty, I mean He's in control. He's greater than anything you face. To live each moment with gratitude. Look at how James puts it there in, in verse 16. Instead, what you should say is, if God wills, we will live. That's that's not the way we usually say that. We'd almost think, okay, I'll say, God, if you will, I'll do that. He eventually gets there. (laughs) But he has that break. No, when you and I pray, if God wills, we will live. And what he is saying to us is that we should recognize every moment that we live as a precious gift from God. That, that every breath that we take is a precious gift from God. We shouldn't just take it as a right. It, it, it is a gift from Him. And, and be thankful for it. And, and where we stop and, and recognize that, we say, Lord, even, even being here in church today, this is a gift from You. If it's Your will, I'll listen to Your word. <laughs> I hope you, when you come, you, you just thank him for the opportunity to be here in a place with other believers and to have this word open and to hear whether God has something to say to you. It's such a precious gift and it changes your reception to everything. Because again, you and I don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. And when we view every moment that we live as a gift from God, then we are receptive to whatever he has to say. So at this point, I'm just going to give you this well-known, encouraging verse. Those of you who go to church often, you know this verse, but just let it rest deep down in your soul. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Because we know something. When we believe in the God of God, we believe in, we know something. What do we know? We know that in all things, God works. All right. Uh, What's in the all things? If it really goes well, is God at work in that? If you come today and you're really in a tough time, is, is, is that a part of the all things? 
Okay, he's in all things. For what reason? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. I want you to just let that go deep into your heart so that you can be thankful for every moment and whatever happens to let him do the good work in those all things that he's promised he'll do. Second suggestion. I want us to learn to conscientiously and intentionally say, if God wills. I grew up in West Virginia. So we had this saying, Lord willing and the crick don't rise. So it shows you what. Lord willing, and in church all the time. Well, see, Lord willing. Now, uh, James uses that phrase. That every thought that we think, the decisions we make, we need to pull back and we think, is that something in keeping with God's will? Uh, Our forefathers in New England, when they would post uh, a... a, um, a notice of a town meeting. They would have town meeting, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Dwayne Thunderbird will be playing music. And at the bottom they would put, Devi- I don't know if you were there back in the 18th century, Dwayne, but uh, at the bottom they would put the letters DV. DV. And th- that meant Deo, God, Volente, like volition, willing. They put it. So we're going to have that meeting and believing in the presence of God every day is a gift from God. Deo volente. Several years ago, I talked to you about this and I said, you should take out your, your day timers because back then we had them and write on the bottom of each entry DV. And now somehow, and you can maybe teach me how to do it. You can put this on your phone schedule so that, so that when that thing pops up every day, you can put a DV down there. Deo volente. So you can acknowledge consciously, conscientiously, intentionally, God is. And God has a way that he would have me to live. God, I'm going to do this, if you will. Now, how that plays out, uh, and I've heard that we had uh, in the time in between, that it played out exactly the way I told them not to have it played out. So 11 o'clock people, you listen better than 9 o'clock people, I believe. I don't think this means that people will always know from this sermon on Lake Avenue Church people, because every time you're going to do something, you say, Deo Valente. <laughs> All right, uh, you want to go to lunch? Yeah, let's go to lunch. Deo Valente. Gonna get... I'll tell you, that would be pre- pretentious. And I, I was thinking, you know, John Wesley, the great church father, turned to young pastors. He gave this directive, don't use religious jargon all the time. It's pretentious. It'll just be off-putting. Speak language that people understand. So I don't think you have to be yelling out at one another Deo Valente all the time. But deep inside of your being, find a way to consciously acknowledge God's presence and say, Lord, my life is yours. I'm going to trust you with it. Then then you see, uh, if that happens and a deal falls through, you trust him, because he's good. And if it goes through, you praise him. The third piece of advice I'll give you. Then, as you're walking with God and seeking his will, do what you sense God leading you to do. 
Verse 17 is a verse that many people think is out of place. They don't know where it came from. But I tell you, it fits so perfectly with what he says. He says, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Uh, So here we go. I've never tried to pretend that there isn't a cost to following Jesus. And and the big cost is we, we deny ourselves. We surrender ourselves to him. You bring God into your life. God is going to be God. So that when, when you live life this way and you begin day by day seeking God and saying, God, what would you have me to do? I'm telling you what's going to happen. You'll sense promptings from God. There, there'll be things you know that you shouldn't do anymore. And there'll be things you just know you should do. People you should speak with. Letters you should write. The things happen. And, and he says here, so if you have given your life to God and you sense there's something you should stop, that God would have you stop, or you should start, and then not to obey him... Well, that's what sin is. It's, it's, it's disobedience of God. It makes me see that God does care about the evil that we do, but he's more concerned about the positive things that we do, and he wants to lead us and to have our lives really count for him. Now, I'll tell you how I've tried to apply this to my life over a number of years. I'm still trying to grow in this, but I'll, I'll tell you what I do. In the midst of sometimes very busy days, and yes, sometimes being senior pastor here can be busy, I try to stop for a while. And just think, I've got all these things on my schedule. Um, but Father, is there something I'm missing? That's sometimes hard for a pastor to do. Because I always think I'm doing God's stuff. Well, obviously I'm a pastor. God, you must be happy with me doing this, this religious stuff. And yet I, I find that I can still get all consumed by just doing the things I think I have to do to be successful at whatever I've been called to do. I try to stop and think, Lord, is there something I've missed is there something that you would have me to do that I haven't thought of? And, and I don't think there's ever been a time that something hasn't come into my mind. Now, I'm not a mystic. I don't get angelic choirs telling me, do this. I don't get scrolls dropped. But, and sometimes I can't sort out, is this my thought or what God would have me to do? I have the word to help guide me. If I know it's in opposition to what God says, I shouldn't do it. But again and again, I, I get these. And, and what I've learned to do over the years is just to do it. So sometimes some of you have gotten a note from me or a call. And maybe sometimes you've thought, what on earth? Why did he do that? He hardly, you know. But that's what... How do you and I learn to walk with God who is always present with us? We have to take the time to stop and acknowledge his presence. To remember and not to forget. And if we sense this is something... God, that you would have me to do, we do it. We do it. And I'll tell you, when you live that way, even the most mundane parts of life come to life. No moment is boring. No place is meaningless. So I call us in accordance with God's word, to examine our ways. Do you believe that God is with you? And when you leave this place, do you believe that God goes with you? Then I tell you on the authority of God's word, do not forget Him. Allow His presence to shape every decision you make. Inscribe on every day of your life, DV, Deo Valente, if God wills. 
And I'm going to leave you with another one of those great, great verses. And you'll see that that is what this passage is saying. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Just look at it and let God speak to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, remember Him, and He will direct your paths to His glory. Amen. Amen.